time to talk about the fifth and most intensive technical revolution humanity has ever experienced. The hybrid age is here. And this is Brain Food with Lydia. Could you please pronounce your name? Aisha. Aisha. Yes, Aisha Kanna. Aisha Kanna. Yes. <laughs> What a beautiful name. Thank you. My name is Lydia Kapolikyo. Can you pronounce that? Lydia Kapolikyo. <laughs> <laughs> I like Lydia. Yeah. I read the other name is hard to pronounce. Yeah. Let's be Aisha and Lydia. That's okay. easier. Yeah. Yes. So Aisha, you say that we experience the fifth and most intensive technical revolution right now, the hybrid age. What do you mean by that? The hybrid age means that technology has now pervaded our lives like never before. Yes, in the agricultural, industrial and information ages, we use technology to change the way we work. But now technology is different and it's different in a few ways. First of all, it's cheaper than before because of Moore's law and the power of computing. We can do so much more with it. Secondly, it is everywhere. It's ubiquitous. It's not just going to be in our laptop and our phone, but it's going to be tiny sensors that exchange data all over the very spaces and cities we live in. Thirdly, it's intelligent. Before it used to be a tool, but now it's not just a tool. It's giving us insights through data mining and neural network algorithms that we never had before. And finally, we're just beginning to see that it's becoming social, which means with robots and chatbots and other machines, they will have emotional relationships with us because they will be able to respond in an emotional manner. They won't be sentient or conscious, but we will begin to treat them as colleagues, as caretakers, etc. Are we uh, enough aware of this, uh, enough aware so we can use it uh, at maximum? No, this is one of the great tragedies of our world right now that Even though it's such a transformative technology, a very few number of people really understand it. And it is my mission in Singapore to make sure that every person understands the basics of AI and how it impacts their life. Mm. This is the only way as citizens, as business people, as parents, we can prepare ourselves and our families for the future. Mm. But tell me, uh, some years ago, we said that Silicon Valley was uh, ahead uh, with everything. Uh, who is uh, leading the technology race today? Is it uh, the East or the West or in the middle or who or where? It's a neck to neck <laughs> race now. It used to be the West, Silicon Valley or the great universities of Europe. But now between China and soon rising Japan and India, we see real competitors to innovation. The copycatting that we used to blame China for Now the copycats are in the US. They're coming to get new ideas on how to use AI and VR and IoT from Asia. And that I think is is the new arms race we see in the world. Mm. Um uh, Forbes Forbes magazine featured your company Ado AI as one of the four leading companies in artificial intelligence in Asia. Uh What kinds of uh, uh, what kind of services do you 
your clients actually buy from you? Well, we build. Congratulations, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We uh, we automate enterprise businesses. So, for example, for large telecommunications companies, we help them understand and automate customer service. So whether people are calling them on the phone, they're texting them, or they're emailing them their issues, we use artificial intelligence to understand what the problem is, to automatically then connect them to the right person or automatically fix that problem. We also understand their sentiment so that we can prevent escalation. And we give the customer journey something that is truly personalized. Mm. Uh, that is one thing for you. Another thing that we do is that we do predictive maintenance. For large oil and gas companies, for example, we use artificial intelligence and we use uh, Internet of Things data to be able to predict before a machine fails so that their whole manufacturing process is optimized. Mm. In both cases, uh, you know, you reduce your risk, you increase your revenue and your customer satisfaction. And that is just a drop in the huge ocean of enterprise automation that is happening around the world. Mm. You were born and raised in Pakistan. That's right. And, and I've heard you mention that uh, uh, your passion for uh, helping developing mm -hmm. countries is very big. What have you done for Pakistan people so well, far? <laughs> in Pakistan, I started off when I was much younger in college in human rights. So I had worked in villages giving microfinance to women. I had worked in jails with women who had been unjustly incarcerated or in the inner city of Lahore trying to set up schools. Since then, I have taken that and started focusing a lot more on education. So even though my charity is based in Singapore, and it is primarily for Singaporeans in my home country, uh, we know that people in Pakistan, Indonesia, Malaysia, and other countries will be taking some of our basics of AI courses that are absolutely free. And hopefully that empowers them further to thrive in this new age. Mm. Oh, you also help girls to uh, to code uh, yes. in many ways uh, without talking so much about technology instead of talking about uh, solving problems. Exactly. I think this is the key, especially for girls why matters quite a bit. Mm. They don't respond well to just telling them to look at certain techniques. They like to connect the dots between the techniques and the reason that they're doing it. Mm. And by connecting this problem to a solution that is technology driven, we see them to be really excited and motivated. And I think this is actually the right approach. Every technology and AI is just one of them. It's about problem solving. You uh, uh, have probably uh, created some solution in your company for Pakistans as well. Do you we have any examples? Ha yes. Yeah, <laughs> so we have we're, uh, have been working on this ability to understand how poor farmers can actually get insurance when their fields are devastated by hurricanes or typhoons. Usually it's very difficult for these poor farmers and they own not very big pieces of land 
to get compensation because somebody has to physically send someone to authenticate and verify that because of a pest infestation or something else, their crops were destroyed. So they never get access to educate, to insurance. But we have been using satellite imagery to experiment with how we can use this eye in the sky to actually understand devastation and provide it to the insurance companies. And we feel by doing that, that even though it is good business for the insurance company as well, it will also stabilize the farmer's income. And I think this is what people mean when they say that AI is good for business and for equity. Mm. Uh, let's continue from Pakistan. From there, you went to Harvard and yeah. Columbia University and London Economic School. You came to New York and worked for Wall Street for 10 years on large-scale trading systems. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> It's been quite a ride. Uh, yeah. How come you ended up on uh, uh, AI? Well, I actually have a, a humanities background and I did a lot of development economics, but I met a lot of people from Romania and Russia and Estonia and, and a lot of Eastern European countries. And they had been taught science and computer science in a very different way than me. I had grown up with a very, in those days in Asia, we had a rote learning system. It was all about the grades. But for them, science and math was about discovery, about the approximation of nature. It was all about awe-inspiring moments of clarity. And for me, this was so inspiring that I began to switch my major and began to take a lot more interest in computer science and then in AI. Were you the only girl? I was actually yes. <laughs> why is it why is it like that mostly? Um I think there has been there was at that time a historical bias against women going into engineering and software engineering in particular. But uh, now the situation is very different. My own daughter and her friends for example do coding. And so I'm happy to report that all across the world with the efforts of entrepreneurs, role models, and investment in women's education, we are beginning to slowly make the technology landscape more diverse. Mm. And who is in the front line when you talk about uh, girls coding and being interested in technology, etc.? Well, we have lots of different role models and companies. My friend Reshma Sajani started Girls Who Code in America that has you know, educated over 100,000 girls in the basics of coding. The professor Fei-Fei Li, who is incredibly well-known at Stanford, she has started AI for All, which is a really for women to learn AI. And she also has an Institute of Humanity and Ethics for AI at Stanford. So I think these are at least my role models. And, um, and in Asia, we're seeing more examples as well. I uh, look at my phone now because I know a lot of people said, if you're going to meet Aisha, please put this question to her. <laughs> and one is, how can you secure a high ethical standard? How and who will decide the moral law when it comes to AI? This is not a new question for humanity. That is why we've had political philosophers. We have had uh, many... Uh, courses on law and justice that many, many people have gone through because for every new technology or every renewal or 
renegotiation of the social contract between governments, companies, and individuals, we need to rethink the new way we will govern ourselves. Mm. Uh, so in the beginning, I think it happens at a country-by-country country level because every country with the um, collaboration and with the inclusion of the opinions of its people decides what they find acceptable. Then we have some regional collaboration such as the European Union does and maybe in Asia we will have ASEAN countries and then over time when some of these ethical norms become fundamental global human rights then they go up to the UN and they become global rights for everybody but because it's a new technology we have to take it step by step and it really starts with each of us as citizens actively participating in these debates and, in fact, starting them, discussing them with each other and with our uh, political representatives. And you have to uh, get some punches before you learn. Is that so? <laughs> yes. I mean, you unfortunately, you, you do make some mistakes, but hopefully that is not at the cost of human life in any way at all. So what does happen is that you have some unintended consequences, such as you did with fake news, And that can dramatically change the course of a country. And, and we have to contend with those things then. Mm. But the most important thing is that human life is valuable. And we have to make sure, first of all, that no harm comes to children, adults, anyone from AI. Mm. The benefits are uh, definitely more, yes. uh, bigger than the, the opposite. Um, okay, what is your view on a sustainable way to store all this data required for future AI development? And the same thing. Yes. Um, it depends what we mean by sustainable. I have two things that I think is important for um, data. One is that your data is your right. You should have access to it. You should have access to where it lives and for how long. Secondly, if your data is being used, can you remove your personal identification from it if it is being used for the greater good? So there are companies now in Silicon Valley, for example, that act as intermediaries between pharmaceutical companies and patients. Patients are willing to give their data, but not their personal information. So this becomes a trusted broker where you actually move forward the advantages of AI and healthcare, but you do not compromise the privacy of individuals. This is a more sustainable way of going forward. So you're talking about trust brokers. Yes, in a way. Uh, they could be algorithmic or they could be, at the moment, they're companies in themselves because mm. we we need that. We need to increase trust in the system and enforce trust in the system. Mm. Uh, what country at this point is leading the development now, would you say? I think that when it comes to R&D and academic research, we find, of course, that uh, a lot of research is done in the U.S. and in the U.K. Cambridge University, for example, um, Caltech, Stanford, they have all been at the forefront, um, as has Canada now uh, in Toronto and Montreal. It has become a hub of innovation around AI. When it comes to the practical application of AI, we see that because of the big problems Asia is facing and the huge number of people that need solutions, Asia is taking the lead there, especially with China, that is really trying to solve using data and AI, applying the algorithms that have been developed 
to actually take the lead in applications. Mm. I was thinking a lot about China, actually, mm. because they monitor their citizens. And, and may this be a, an example of risk <laughs> when it comes to AI? It is like anything, a question of how it is used. So there are a billion people, over a billion people. Security is a grave concern for them. And they are using police CCTV cameras and facial recognition to improve security and to reduce terrorism and other kinds of criminal activity. This is a good case, in my opinion, uh, or a justifiable case of using AI. Any government that then uses it in a way that is to um, manipulate or spy on its people without the permission of those people or any company that does that, that is not a good use of AI. We do not know how China is using it. We hear many stories of many different yes, countries. Yes, there are. There are many stories. So there are stories in the UK. There are stories in Asia. There are stories in the US. Sometimes they say a government is doing this. Sometimes they say a company is doing this. Uh, we don't know. But what we do know is that ethically there are certain standards by which we, criteria by which we judge whether it is a justifiable and good use of AI or not. Mm. It's also a matter of culture. Um, yes and no. I mean, it depends. I mean, there are certain, I think that uh, most cultures over time, I see we see a, a global um, convergence on certain issues that are important to everyone. And, um, and in others, there are differences. Mm. But I don't know that there's a, it's culture, it's history, it's the exist, existing circumstances in your country. I do think it's important not to jump to conclusions. Mm. I think it's important to evaluate with circumspection why somebody's doing something and what are its ripple effects and unintended consequences. Mm. I, and I think this is in general a stance we need to take for all applications of AI. How come you ended up in, in Singapore? Is that the place to be, to work with AI? <laughs> it is absolutely the place to be. The government is very encouraging. There are great universities. It is the hub by which you access the tremendous growth in Asia. And I think it is a wonderful place uh, with museums, nightlife, uh, different ethnicities. It's very cosmopolitan. I have found living in Singapore and my move there with my family one of the best decisions of my life. And you've been around. <laughs> yes, to many countries, yes. <laughs> um, let's take another example of, of uh, how you can use AI. Uh, you were talking uh, earlier on about face recognition yes. when it comes to chickens. Yes. <laughs> I mean, uh, we, in Sweden, we are very interested in, in, in food. I mean, it's a worldwide topic. Uh, how to uh, eat well, but also that the food feels well. <laughs> yes, and I, and I think that's important. Um, I was talking about Yong'an, which is this fintech company out of uh, China. And what it does is that it ensures that the chicken that you eat is organic and healthy and free range by time Tying uh, tiny sensors to the anklets of millions of chickens as it plans to, uh, so that you can monitor if they're moving around or if they're cooped up in unhealthy conditions, and also uses facial recognition cameras 
to keep an eye on their conditions and I'm, also... I'm laughing because I thought every chicken has the same face. <laughs> I know, I know, that is true, but they don't, they're a bit different. They're imperceptible changes, I suppose, yeah. um, to the human eye. And so this, this is a, this is a way to improve the conditions and, you know, people are willing to pay money for that kind of, uh, safe and healthy food and, and the life of a animal well lived. Mm. Um, sometimes it feels that, uh, we people in, in, in West, we don't, we are not aware of all the opportunities that are out there. I heard you uh, speak about uh, the amount of people that live in Pakistan, 206 million. Yes. And only 50,000 has... A mortgage. A mortgage? Yes, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, hopefully that will change, but that was in Bloomberg magazine. And, and um, essentially, there are many, many, many problems to be solved in the world there are many many wonderful things to explore in the universe like we just saw the first image of the black hole mm. and, and that was the result of a team of 200 people including an artificial intelligence specialist a young woman who used a computer vision to put the picture together along with her team and and in asia and other developing worlds there are problems of access to healthcare access to education, and even to financial services. Mm. There is a company called Butterfly IQ, and it is creating a personalized ultrasound so that it's very tiny. Instead of buying a big machine in a hospital for twenty or even $200,000, and then you have to go to the hospital, here your doctor or trained nurse can come on a cycle and can check your baby's health. And not only is it small, but the AI on it actually can give you the same, uh, can give you supporting prognosis on the health of your baby or the state of your tumor so that you don't um, need to be in a hospital. Mm. So this is the kind of good that can come out. There's so much potential. And all of this does not need to be done as a philanthropic endeavor. This is good business as well. So I think that on every uh, it, on every front, it is really a great time to be a person who wants to work and solve problems. Mm. I have, though, p I need to put the question that I, I think a lot of people still wonders about, and it's uh, the bad guys yes. are probably also good technicians. Yes, absolutely. How can we secure that um, we, we are ahead instead of other people who we don't want to be ahead on, on this uh, technology development? The Really, the way to do this is through public-private partnership. Some of the largest companies and governments together hire the best minds in the world to algorithmically inspect and put up security forces, digital cyber security forces on multiple levels to prevent malevolent cyberware and AIware from hijacking our systems. This is a race that will only get more intense. So will we always be ahead? In some places, yes. In others, they might get ahead and then we'll need to arm up and skill up to meet those um to meet those malevolent forces. Mm -hmm. So this is a real threat and uh, we must acknowledge it and we must deal with it. What is your a dream vision with your company? What what kind of uh, service would you like to create? 
Do you have anything you can <laughs> talk about? Yes, absolutely. I think one of the services that I would really like to create is to use automation not to replace jobs, but to amplify human potential. In other words, when you have, when we create automation engines with AI, we always train people as well so that they can actually uh, elevate themselves and reach their full potential with the power of AI and the insights it gives them. That little step of training people plus so automation, plus training, plus the insights from machine learning, if we make that into a norm, a habit, then we will truly help people benefit from this instead of being afraid of it. And for me, so much of the meaning of work comes from feeling good about what you're doing, feeling confident, feeling secure. And I would like everyone to have that feeling. Yeah, you're quite good at, at showing that, actually. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you Aisha. so much. Good luck with all your projects. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.